Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, Beth Ballou. Beth is the vice president of long-form development and current programming for Funny or Die. She spent most of her career producing and developing comedic unscripted shows, some scripted, on her own and also on the network side. So we we get into all of it. We Some of the highlights for me, we talked about Harry Hamlin's obsession with plants, how it's possible that women did not know they were pregnant, what it's like to work with Conan O'Brien, and how to turn a scripted TV show with Kevin Bacon into a podcast. Hi, Beth. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad we were able to do this. I know we've been trying for a while and we were even hoping for an in-person, but it's just so complicated in this day and age. It is. It is hard. It's nice to see you on Zoom. I nice to see you on Zoom. You look mm-hmm. beautiful. You're, you're oh. Skype or you're Zooming in from your home in Encino. I'm in Sherman Oaks, so we're probably only divided by a few miles. I know. I'll wave at you from the window. <laughs> from the ashy, from the ashy sky. <laughs> That's right. I know. Thank you for having me. Every I know so many wonderful people who have done this. I'm Aww. glad, glad to be included. You must be to the bottom of the list. If, you, if, got, if it's me, I just ran out of people. I'm just, like, you know what? Finally, like let I'm her, just, let her do it. It's fine. Her turn. Exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't want to say <laughs> now I've been wanting you to come on for a while. I always start with um, how I know my guests. So I don't know if you remember that you and I, cause I was trying to think, cause I do feel like I've known you for a long time. I don't know the yeah. year, but we met, I know what you were doing. So it was at real screen in DC. Always a fun time um, when you were at TBS TNT. Yeah. And I feel like you had maybe just started. So it like, or maybe, you know, like have been maybe a year in or something. Probably. Yeah. That that sounds right. I was probably pregnant at the time. I was going to say, I think you were pregnant, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, newly pregnant and having morning sickness at real screen. I, I remember it vividly. It was the best time of my life. I think that was the case. And then I feel like when we pitched you, John Bonet, when you were on your way out oh, from yeah. TNT, you were also pregnant. Is that possible? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is possible. <laughs> Are you just knocked it's, up all the time? <laughs> it's really, it's only two kids, but people say this to me all the time. It They just were close together. So like my kids were kind of close. So it did seem like I was just. Like, You're pregnant for like three pregnant. years straight. That's right. That's right. But it's only two kids. So, you know. All right. Yeah. Only two kids, but you're probably going insane trying to do this whole pandemic with little like, are they, what are they, six and four or? Yeah, they're sick. My boy is six and my girl is four. And then I have two older stepkids who are 11 and 13. And are they part time with you? So they're back and forth? Part time. So they're back and forth. So we have between two and four kids at any given moment. Oh my God. Oh, it's and I bananas. remember I, I gave you like a little toy organizer that I, that I handed down. Was that useful to you? It was so useful. It's still in Stella's room. I'll show you after oh, we good. end this. It's beautiful. It, it holds all of our books and is, is a beloved Aww. piece of family furniture now. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. I love being able to do the hand-me-downs because here, like none of my family's here and I used to just give right. everything to my cousins or my sister. And now I'm like, somebody please get used oh. to these things, you know? I will take all of your hand-me-downs forever. Okay. You got it. You got me in. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. And, but you're not originally, are you from the South originally? I am. I'm from Tennessee. I'm from a teeny tiny little town called Bristol, Tennessee. 
my gosh. Um, and did you come to LA after college? I actually transferred. I did two years of college in Tennessee, and then I transferred out here to go to film school at Chapman University mm-hmm. um, okay. down in Orange County. So I finished up out here. So I've been here for quite a while. I lived in Orange County for a while and then moved to L.A., moved into the big city to to work in television. I And, you know, I majored in TV production there, which is. Oh, you did. Doing, yeah, which has been it was it was a great program. Did you know that you wanted to do unscripted or was that just kind of like you fell uh, into it? Unscripted wasn't a thing really back then. I mean, I remember when, I mean, I'm old. So I remember when (laughs) like Survivor came on, I was in college. And when that premiered, people were like, oh, this seems like a new kind of TV, you know? And, (laughs) And then as I was graduating, those shows were blowing up. And that was the time where like, it suddenly cable and broadcast, everybody was doing unscripted TV. So there were just jobs, 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 which yep. was great. Um, right, right. So you came in at the boom. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to work in comedy, like specifically, but I didn't, you know, I, I think when you go to school, you're like, I want to make a movie or like what you just have these like thoughts about what you want to do when you grow up that don't actually relate to <laughs> reality. Yeah, reality. Because so everything I, changes. Yeah, everything changes. So yeah. I love your resume because you've done a lot of comedy and it's always such a bright spot when I see women in comedy, which of course we'll get yeah. to your current um, position in a little bit. But I want to go through some of the things that you produced um, earlier on because you were on some shows that need to be mentioned and <laughs> oh, one Lord. that I need a, I like know. a good story from each of these. Let's oh, just start with rock of love charms. <laughs> so that was for each one. And that was the Brett Michaels spinoff, right? For That's all these right. like, basically trashy girls that needed to be tamed. That's right. There was spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs happening at that time. Yeah. That was 50, uh, 51 minds. And I, I was there for about a, a year working on all of this, you know, deep levels of spinoffs that were happening at that, at that point in time, it was, it was wild. <laughs> Tell it was us crazy. Brett Michaels story. Well, on rock of love charm school, he wasn't there. We had Sharon right. Osbourne. Sharon All Osborne right. was there teaching the women how to behave. Um, as you can imagine, they did not behave. That was kind of the, the right. Purpose. And there, there's one fight that I know. Cause I was doing some, um, development work for, a. Uh, uh, history of reality series. And, and there was one clip from that show. That's sort of like the thing, right? Oh, really? It was it. I can't even remember who if I you saw say the fights. women. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was, was probably was Heather really... and I can't even remember. It was, it, it was, was ugly. <laughs> yeah. It was great though. That was so, I, I feel like that was a very specific period of time where shows like that were popular and people loved it. And the cast was into it as much as the producer. Like no one was being, you know, exploited. Like they loved it, and it, everyone was having fun. Right, um, everyone was in on the joke. So to yeah, speak. yeah. I and how was think- it to work with Sharon? She was, you know, she was a little bit of a diva from time to time. But honestly, it was to be. If if you go into a show with her, not expecting that, it's right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is she going to come out of her trailer on time? Nope. No. Like no. But that's okay. <laughs> Okay, we're going to be on set for the next 20 hours anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> she'll, she'll come eventually. She'll be here eventually. And then Harry loves Lisa. So mm. I think like, no offense, but I think maybe five people watched and I was yeah. one of them. Uh, wow. Thank yeah. you. And my mom. 
Thank you. <laughs> you Thank got you. it. So I am slightly obsessed with them because, yeah. you know, I'm a Housewives fan. And sure. of course, they've lived in that ha- same house, filming yeah, those same scenes from that kitchen. What was your take on their relationship? I've also had Lisa on the podcast. Oh, you have? And she at the time had the, that little store down the street from you. Yes. Oh, my God. Soto. <clears throat> you remember that? Soto. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or it was, I don't know if that's what it was called at the it time. It was called. That's Bell where Soto Ray is now. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed their relationship and thought that they were genuinely like the cutest couple. They mm-hmm. both, you know, weirdos in their own right, lovely people <laughs> in their own right. Like, you know, like Harry is just like we would show up to. I remember one day every day we'd show up to set and Harry would be like, I, I got to talk to you about the plants. Like, OK, here we go. <laughs> somebody walked on this plant and and look at it. And he would like go through and show like, he's very detail oriented and he knows everything in the house. And like, if somebody's moved something in the house and like, all right, we'll fix the plant. We'll get somebody to fix the plant. Like, don't worry about it. Like blah, blah, blah. He's just focused OCD. Yeah. And he, and she just flutters around like a crazy person. (laughs) And, and it's, they have a great, like he's kind of the rock and she's sort of like flying around and, and it's like, it's a nice little, it genuinely like a nice relationship. I think that they have. Yeah. It seems to work for them. And then their kids were young, I guess. Right. I mean, yeah, they were youngish. They were, I don't know, 10 and 12 or something, maybe even younger at that time. Do you watch Beverly Hills Housewives? I don't. Okay. I know. I'm missing. (laughs) You can't catch up on it late either. No, There's too no, much. No, no. Too much. I would have to take no. a, a month off of work and, and yeah. go back. And <laughs> you I really was like, would. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth no, it. You're good. I, You're good. You're, I know. You're, you're good. I, You'll be fine. So here's okay. I'm dying to talk to you about I didn't know I was no. pregnant. <laughs> I'm sure ever that's like your cocktail party it's stories. So, it, it's so funny, like of all the like shows <laughs> that I'm proud of on my resume, there's not one of them. And then people always bring every job interview I've ever had. Yeah. People, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it, it is a okay. phenomenon. Right. So riddle me this. You have been pregnant. Obviously at the time mm-hmm. you hadn't been, but you have yes. been pregnant twice. On yes. what planet do you not know you're pregnant? It is the weirdest thing to me. It is crazy. Well, I I could do a TED talk on this subject. Like okay. we should do just a give separate, us your mini. Give us your mini separate podcast. It is this insane combination of lack of education, denial, and just downright stupidity that like <laughs> comes together to be. And then sometimes um, obesity plays a factor in it, but not always. Like we we did have a lot of women who were very thin and like had tiny babies, you know, <laughs> it is insane. And there's all of these meta- like your uterus can be tilted backwards and you can have bleeding during pregnancy that makes you think you're not pregnant when you are, you know, but people don't know. Like I used to talk to these women all day and they would say like, well, you know, we only had sex standing up and you can't get pregnant when you're standing up. <laughs> so I didn't think I could be pregnant. It's like, how do you? I, I, yeah, I know. I'm, Listen, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But in the last two months, even last month, like, I don't know about you, but like my daughter was literally her entire body was poking out of me, moving around. You yeah. could see a foot. You could see yeah. a hand. 100%. Like, on what planet do you think that's like period cramps? I know. It's crazy. Denial works. <laughs> Very well, I think. I think, think if you, yeah, no, yeah, if you don't want to, 
if you don't want it to be so, like maybe it's not, you know, I think that's the case for a lot of people. And also people are just, women would tell me all the time, like, yeah, I thought it was gas. Like gas gets blamed for like a lot of these. It's like, how much gas did you have prior to this, that this felt normal to you? Like, and you know, everything like the, you know, the throwing up and like, there's a way to sort of everything you can kind of figure out, but you know, I can't imagine it. I could barely walk. I was so big. Like, you know, you're not thinking that's gas weighing you down. No, it is. It is remarkable. So I love the story of how you got, how you transitioned from producing to development. And it happened with this one show. So talk about like your sort of light bulb moment with this show and then how that helped you transition into the development side. Yeah, I had been, I had been working in production for like 10 years. And I mean, as we all know, production is hard. <laughs> production is, it just steals years from your life that you didn't know were going. Um, and I just, I knew that I didn't want to work in production forever. It's too, it's not, it's not my favorite. I'm more interested in like the inception of the ideas than I am the execution of the ideas. And I felt like I had been sort of, you know, on the wrong path. And I was like, I got to figure out how to get into development, but nobody would give me a development job because, you know, as you know, like people expect a certain level of polish and, you know, like, how, like, what have you developed? What have you made? What have you done? And, you know, it's like, I, you know, just been working in the field for 10 years. So I worked a lot with like, fr- you know, friends and, you know, doing internet videos and all that kind of stuff with a bunch of people from UCB and in that, that world, um, some sketch shows there just, um, back when I had spare time, do you remember spare time? That was like a thing <laughs> before you have kids, you have spare time. And so I would, you know, when I wasn't shooting, I would be shooting sketches or working on sketch shows with these, uh, a lot of my friends over there. And one day I was at, I, I would, I'm sure was a, a party of some sort at, uh, with a bunch of comedians and, and two of our friends, both who happen to be these big overweight comedians were talking about this weight loss competition that they were doing in their house. They lived together and they were seeing who could lose the most weight every week. And whoever lost got a terrible punishment inflicted onto them by the other one. Um, and sorry, shutting this off my computer. Um, and so I, we watched this going down, like on the weekly basis, it was, it was crazy. They were just abusing each other and abusing their own bodies. And I'm like, you guys are nuts, but it was so fun. They were really cracking me up. And I was like, this is a TV show. You know, this is clearly a television show and we should shoot something and, you know, cut it into a reel and like, see what happens. Um, so my friend Payman, who's a director, um, a very successful director now at that time was like, we were all kind of the same level. And he was like, oh yeah, let's shoot it. So we spent a couple of days. We spent like 500 bucks maybe on beer and pizza mostly and shot the sizzle and created this format. And I, you know, did a deck and sort of did, you know, all of the work for free and like very long story short, we ended up selling it as a pilot to true TV. So it never made it to air because of, you know how development goes, but we ended up shooting a full pilot for true TV of this show that was called Jeff and Curtis lose weight. And that enabled me to move into development because then I had a sale and then, you know, it was like, 
it, it was, uh, it, you know, I was working, I, I moved to this uh, company called Reeve Gauche, like, because I had that sizzle reel done and some development materials under my belt, I was able to sort of transfer that into a, a big girl job. I love that. And this concept sounds hilarious. So shame That's on really truth. Funny. I know. They sh- it. I know. So let me ask you this, because a lot of, you know, when I talk to producers, I try to, a, a lot of young people listen to the podcast and it's sort of like, okay, well, what's the lesson there? Like, what's the little thing we can pass along? Mm-hmm. So in that case, did you, so it sounded like you and your group of friends went out on your own and sold it to true. Like how does somebody do that before they are attached to a production company? If you're just an independent yeah. producer with a great reel. So, yeah. So I, after we had the reel done, we made the reel ourselves and cut it ourselves. I, um, used that to help get the job at Reeve Gauche. So there was like a little, like a window where I was like hopping into that job. And because I had just made what was like a killer reel, they were willing to take a, a chance on me. And so then in me, like within the first, like two months of working there, it was like, we went out and sold it as a pilot. So I sort of had it in my back pocket with me. Well, um, that's perfect because I think that's what I tell a lot of, a lot of producers starting out or transitioning to this world, which is you know, people want to know what, like you said, like you couldn't get arrested because your skills were yeah. different. You had yeah. nothing to offer them or proof in the pudding That's right. until you did. And then all of a sudden you were useful to them because everyone's trying to sell a show. That's right. So, and you know. everybody, you know, being able to create materials is beneficial to like get, if you can make a reel, if you can make a deck, you know, if you can do those things, like you can hop into development. So that's what I, I always tell people. And at that same time, I had been, um, I had some friends who were, or, you know, former bosses who I'd worked for who were out shooting sizzle reels for their own show. So I was interning, essentially. I would say, like, can I come and help you make your sizzle reels? Because I don't know how to do it yet. So I was, like, 30 years old and, like, begging showrunners to let me help them make their sizzles. And, of course, they were like, yes, <laughs> you sure can. Right. So I had this sort of, like, I got almost a, 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 a portfolio of reels that I had worked on. And a bunch of decks. Like I would just think of an idea and sit down and write a deck for it. I would never like now I'd be like, you have to pay me for that. But then I was like, this is fun. And this is what I want to do. So I had all of these materials and I think you can't argue with good, you know, if somebody's a good writer, if you're a good editor, if you're a good, you know, producer, like that, the other stuff you can learn, right. You can meet everybody. You can like learn to pit, you know, it, all of those things you can kind of learn. But if you're not a good writer, if you're not inherently good at materials, I feel like development is is difficult. I'm so glad you said that because I, I could not agree more. I do think, look, our industry in general isn't rocket science. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, you need to go to med school <laughs> or get a law degree. Like, yes. but I do think, and especially because I am so particular about writing, and mm-hmm. I am so frustrated by so many producers that try to get into development and they can't write and they can't yeah. do certain things. I don't think that necessarily everyone's good at everything. And I think your point is really well taken, which is, you know, everybody or not everybody. A lot of people seem to like, well, I just want to get into development. I'm sick of being in the field and all that. But it's not there's a lot of things that need to come together. Like, I think you're a perfect example because you have the creative instincts, you have the execution instinct, you have the execution talent. But you also are good with people like a lot of things need to line up because yeah. Yeah. you can have a great idea, but then you may not be a good salesperson or you may not have those relationships to be able to be a good salesperson. That's right. Yeah. And it takes, you know, I do think it takes a lot of different skills. You're right. That sort of come together and you learn that, you know, you either learn them as you go along or you kind of fall by the wayside, I think. Right. Like Some people, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not for me some days. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah, let's talk about the other side of it. Like, so you've been doing development now for over 10 years or about 10 years. I mean, let's talk about the shitty side of it. Like the rejection isn't fun. So how do you deal with the rejection? I not well. (laughs) <laughs> not, not well, I will say. I, you know, I worked for Dave Eilenberg, who I know was on this this yeah. podcast already as everybody's. No, I haven't done. Favorite. Dave, Dave did another one. He hasn't done mine yet, but he will. Oh, okay, we'll yeah, get him I on. love him. Adore He's him. He's the best. Yeah, I worked for Dave for five years and he says, he always says to me, like, I think it's really cute that you still have a heart about <laughs> all of your, like when, because if something gets passed on, I need like a day to get, oh, I, I just can't, I get very emotionally involved in the shows that I do. And um, I don't know how to get past that because I don't know why I would care to try to sell them if I didn't actually care about them. Like we've all gone out with shows that we, that we're like, all right, this one's a, <laughs> right. This one's a little bit of a throwaway. We've always, we've already done those. Like we've all done those, like those I'm not going to like shed a tear for, but for the most part, like every show that I go out with, like I, I love and I want to make, and it, I feel mildly crushed when it doesn't go. I don't know. That must've been hard when you went to the network end, because like basically most of your job is saying no and crushing producers dreams. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that is true. But you do also get to make people's dreams come true sometimes like to call people and say like, this is a green light is a wonderful feeling. So you have to, you know, those are, those are great. I, I love working with producers. Like that's the thing I liked about being at the network. Like I, ironically, when you're at the network, you get to work with producers who are my favorite people. And then, but when you're at a production company, you have to work with all the networks. <laughs> so, you know, oh, it's, it's like so crazy. <laughs> I know yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Are you, do you feel like you're meant to be on this side? Like that's where you, your heart is. Yeah. I'm really enjoying being on this side um, right now. I mean, I think there's, there's absolutely benefits and, and great things to both. And I'm glad to have experience on both sides because then the process just makes more sense to me now. Like the network process sometimes felt like a, like what's going on there? Like what's happening? And now I understand it to so much more, which is, which has been really nice, but it's, uh, you know, the great thing about funny or die where I am now is like, it's really a place where everybody cares about their shows and we're all in the same boat. It is not at all a factory of like pump stuff out, you know, everything we do, we all care about intensely, which, you know, is, is, it's a lot of intensity, but it's, but it's good, you know? And then that's the sort of community I was, I think I've, I've been looking for is like people who love comedy and really want to make comedy shows. It sounds perfect. It sounds like the culmination in a way of like the last yeah. part of your career. So let's talk about that. Like, how did you, it's when you were at TV, you know, they combined mm-hmm. TNT, TBS. So you got to work with Conan. You actually worked with my friend, Rachel Whitlieb. At oh Conan. yeah, of course. I love yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very exciting environment. And, you know, yeah. you, d- you did a lot of those types of shows. So did you see yourself from that point kind of like, and then of course you work for Wanda Sykes, which I want to mm-hmm. hear about. So like yeah. the comedy thing just happened organically out of the TBS experience. It, it was always the direction I wanted to go. Like mm-hmm. I, and anything in my career that I've done outside of comedy has been torturous for me. So, wow. so, so it's I, like, I've always tried to steer that way. And, um, you know, the TBS job being when I went, you know, it was specifically to do comedy. Um, 
I did like 90% TBS and 10% TNT. So it was, right. you know, it was right. great. And I worked on Sam B, which was wonderful. Oh and, my God. Hero, icon, yeah. legend. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So that was I such a cool experience. So it, it didn't make any sense to me to do anything else after I left. I just decided like, I'm just going to do show. I'm just going to do comedy shows now. I'm going to stop trying to do anything else. How did Wanda Sykes come along? How did that job present itself? I've known Wanda for, I worked back when I was a baby producer on a show called <laughs> Wanda, Wanda Does It on Comedy Central. Um, just like a scripted hybrid weird little show. So I've known Wanda for a very long time. So so when that position came up, uh, you know, it felt, it felt right to go back and like work with her again. She's wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting. So Sam B, Conan, Wanda, you work with Busy Phillips on her mm-hmm. show. Yeah. What What do you think, like, if you had to say one connective thread, other than obviously they're all smart and funny, mm-hmm. is there something, because you've worked with a lot of different kinds of talent over the years, is there something about yeah. comedians specifically that you know you're going to be in for? Like the difference between, like, we'll talk about your Kevin Bacon show. He's an actor. He's not a comedian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, I wonder what that nuance is, what that difference is. I mean... I think, you know, that's a really hard question. It's a hard, it's hard to pinpoint because I think all of those people are very different. I, I think everybody who works in comedy, like you have to quickly gauge like where their ego is <laughs> and how much um, caressing that ego needs. I'm to guessing a extent. most of them need a lot. <laughs> most of them need a lot. I mean, not like Conan, like I, you know, Conan knows really? he's great. He's been on the air, you know, forever. Not for me, right, anyway. Maybe for right. Rachel. Well, no, 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 I'm not. No, no, no. I speak. <laughs> yeah. I say. I yeah. say nothing. No, no, no. We, sh- we don't talk about that. But no, yeah, I yeah. guess what I mean is like you know, notoriously Letterman, who you would yeah. probably say the exact same thing about, was the most insecure yeah. person ever. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think Conan is very adulation. insecure, but he's he's wonderfully nice. You know, his doesn't manifest in. Neediness. Any sort of neediness, <laughs> you know, it's more like that he's going to try to make you laugh every time he sees you, which is delightful if you're on the <laughs> on the receiving end of it. It's great. Right. You know, he's, he's one of those kind of people. And then, you know, I just think there's a certain like moodiness, right. <laughs> you know, like it, it's a little bit of a roller coaster ride with these. You know, it's like you have to come at them very gingerly and, and take, you know, they they put themselves out in a way where they are very raw and I think they feel that all the time. And so everybody has this different level of ego that you kind of have to deal with. Comedy writers are the same way, right? Like they're not these big, loud, extroverted development executives. Like, you know, we all are. It's, and they don't like the bullshit of, sorry, am I allowed to curse on this? <laughs> oh, we encourage it. Okay. I can't believe I made it that long. Yeah. That is impressive. You're yeah, Southern thank, girl though. You know. Thank you. I know I'm being polite. Um, you know, but there's this, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It's just this X. They don't like the Hollywood bullshit. And I feel like in a, in a way it's kind of our jobs as executives to shield them from that. And also, you know, baby step them into that, like how, you know, it's, they're putting themselves on the line and we have to be able to make them feel comfortable all the time. And like, yes, these networks are rejecting you, but it's going to be fine. We're going to go to another place and pitch your show or like whatever that is. It takes a lot of uh, babysitting and work, but not in a bad way, but in a good way. Yeah. I, it's funny. I'm thinking about my own career and I still think this far down that 
that that is the hardest part of my job that Mm -hmm. I kind of like, I'm pretty good at everything else, but I still find the different personalities of talent. And and I put talent in quotes because it's not like I'm working with like the types of comedians that you are, but you know, all different kinds of talent. And then even sometimes regular people who become your talent, you know, and, and so you've got the spectrum, right? You've got the divas who have been doing it a while, expect a certain thing. And then you've got the ones who have no idea what's going on and are scared shitless and want you to protect them and are, you know, maybe mistrusting of everything because they don't know what's happening. And I find that that it really is, at least for me, not in a bad way, I agree with you, but the most challenging part of what it takes up the most emotional space in my day. Yeah. Is, is making that call, talking somebody down off the ledge, yeah. trying to like, even if they're crazy and acting crazy, you have to completely deal with them like they're totally normal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm and sure I, you and do I that think all the time. All the time. And to, and to your point, I think I, in my experience, people who are already like quite famous have less ego. This is maybe this is just me have less ego than the people who are yeah. clawing for fame. And those are the people who are the most easily shattered and the most difficult to deal with because you're, you know, as you're trying to get them to just like work in this, work on this deck or go to this pitch or do the scene or whatever it is, like you're batting up against the fact that they're like, why am I not more famous? And like, that is, and that is often the case with the like mid to lower. I think those people are harder, you know? Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I always, um, my quick little antidote to that is I worked at VH1 back in the day and it was right mm-hmm. when Christina Aguilera, I, I interviewed a ton of musicians. It was amazing. Um, this was, you know, 20 years ago. So Christina Aguilera was just starting out. You know, she came mm-hmm. in with a posse of like 500 people. She was a complete bitch. I mean, I, I'm sure she's changed. Yeah. You know, she was, she was young. She was like 18. Um, I'm imagining she had like a full midriff out. Oh yeah. There was a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, and then she, yeah. she, uh, somebody gave her tea. I was producing, I wasn't a PA, I wasn't an intern. Yeah. You know? And she held out the tea bag just like no. this, just so like I could take it. <laughs> I just let it, I just walked by. <laughs> but anyway, but the, the juxtaposition was then like the next day I interviewed Santana at a hotel. I think it was in DC and he came alone. I was right. just like, right. he was like, hi sweetie. Yeah. And just gave me yeah. a kiss. And we sat down and I was like, Where's the publicist? Where's the agent? Where's the posse? Where's the makeup person? It was so fantastic. Because he's been famous. Exactly. He's been famous forever. He doesn't need his normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's his normal. That's the same, like, we, you know, I just did this project with Kevin. Yeah, let's talk about that. I can't wait to talk about that. So we just did it. Yeah, yeah, let me back up and and, and let's get into Funny or Die before we launch into Kevin. So, so how did that happen? And then let's talk about your amazing Mm all-female team of funny mm-hmm. women producing behind the scenes. Like, I just think people don't know what I didn't know until you sent me that article, yeah. all the cool stuff that's going on over there. Yeah. It's wild. So I've known funny or die for a long time. I did a show with them when I was at TBS. So we did a show uh, called America's next best weatherman. <laughs> I think that's right. That's I awesome. Was um, it was a search for, um, you know, a, like a legitimate search for a weatherman, a new weatherman, but with miss the, that? because nobody watched it. Who and hosted it? Um, oh, I'm going to space on his name. I will, okay. I will look it up. Um, okay. Oh God, he was so great. Was, and I'm going to space on it. Was it, um, um, it was Matt Ober. I, I was literally just going to, yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, who was wonderful. It was way too, um, out there and weird for TBS, but <laughs> now like, I just knew like, da- like the minute it came in, I was like, Dave's gonna, we're going to buy the show. Cause it's so weird. Like we're going to take a chance on it. Um, nobody watched it, but it's all of our like favorite experience <laughs> uh-huh. of being on a show. Cause it was so much fun. 
so I knew Funny or Die very well from that experience and then, you know, kept in touch with uh, Joe Farrell and uh, Becca Kinski and a couple of other people there over the years. And I always was just like, I want to, I want to work here. You know, if a, if a job comes up, I would, I would like to work here. And then they ended up having somebody go on maternity leave, uh, Becca Kinski, who I was just talking about. And uh, they called me to come in and, and sub, you know, in for her while she was gone. And I was looking for something new at that time. So it was perfect. And then I just never left. I was like, after that ended, they were like, we don't want you to leave. And I was like, great. I don't want to leave. I love when was, when was that? When did you start there? It was like over a year ago. So it's been probably 14, 15 months ago. So the Kevin Bacon podcast, was that already, you were already conceiving of that before the pandemic, right? Oh yeah. That we, we wrapped that in October or I'm sorry, in January. Yeah. In January. Okay. We we, we recorded it in October and then. Okay, so let's talk about how that came in and then how it, how it, what is it? So the, the Kevin Bacon project came in through Dan Abramson, who was a great funnier die writer for a long time. Um, And he and Kevin had done a video together, funnier die. And they came up with this idea for a show called the last degree of Kevin Bacon about a guy who lost the starring role of Footloose to Kevin Bacon and it ruins his life. And then he decides that he's going to go to Hollywood and kill Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so it's very funny. Uh, I know it doesn't sound like a funny pitch, but it's uh, kind of like dark <laughs> comedy. So, yeah. you know, we took it out. It, it didn't sell um, as a, as a TV series. Uh, and then we decided to do it as a podcast. We got a, a great offer from Spotify to do it as a podcast, as a podcast. And it was my first time doing a scripted podcast. I mean, scripted comedy podcasts aren't really a thing yet. I hope they are more soon, but, um, so it was a great experience of like learning how to do that and like getting to do it with Kevin and Kira and Matt Walsh was our lead character. Um, and love him. I mean like Rob Reiner, Lamorne Morris, like like this incredible cast of people every day, you know, wanting to come in and do it. So backing up to trying to sell it as a TV concept. So Funny or Die is now sort of transitioned into a production mm-hmm. company, not doing original series, producing originally original series for the website. So we have different, there are different of the company. We, I work for long form, which is traditional television. All we do is traditional television and now some, some podcasting. We, we still have, you know, the videos for the website and Instagram and social media, all of that stuff takes place, you know, in a different department. And then we also have a branded content team that, you know, does, you know, big ads and shows for like Kroger. We have a show with Tignataro called Under a Rock sponsored by um, Amazon. So they do, they handle all of the branded stuff. So we really are like a trifecta now. And I think people don't, don't realize that, that Funny or Die, like long form, which is feature films, TV shows, podcasts, it, we're our own d- division. So I think people just assume that when you have somebody like Kevin Bacon attached to an idea who's obviously A-list, like, of course, you're going to sell that show, you know, whether yeah, it's scripted, yeah. unscripted. Right. So what was the feedback when you took it around? Well, I, I have to say I wasn't there at that time. I didn't take it out on the original pitch. I, I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the problem was. I, I, I honestly I can't answer that question in a articulate way because I wasn't there for the pitching. I just was there for the like, yay, we sold it to pot, to Spotify part of that. Um, I don't know. I've, I've passed on a lot of shows with celebrities in them because it just doesn't feel right for, 
Just because somebody's famous, I don't think means they feel right for your network necessarily, but it certainly does help to have that that name attached in general. So what were the challenges taking it from what you guys had conceived of for TV to a podcast? Such a different medium. Yeah, it, it's interesting trying to do comedy in a podcast form because you really don't have all the tools in your toolbox. You know, you don't have you can't see anybody, obviously. So it's like the looks and the pauses and everything feels different in the writing right. of the show and and trying to work in the audio gags and the um, like what's really difficult is distinguishing characters. You know, we we had, I think, 136 characters total over time. Oh, my 10. God. We had How all do these- you do that in a scripted series? Because in unscripted, we just introduce the person. Yeah, it's it's really difficult <laughs> and all the voices have to sound dramatically different and they wow. can't be in the same. You have to move through scenes in a way that you understand, you know, like every time you see somebody, you have to be like, hello, Ted. Like you have to like introduce <laughs> them in a way that so we, you know, it was definitely a learning process for for all of us. So does that make you more motivated to do more of these kinds of podcasts? Like, is that a space that you want to keep doing? Yeah, absolutely. Seriously? I think we definitely want to do more podcasts at Fund Your Diet, something we're really interested in as a way of, um you know, telling stories and getting, getting talent out there that people maybe don't know. And, I, and that's something Funnier Die has always been great at is finding new talent. And that's a great way to do it these days. So you, I think you'll be seeing more podcasts coming out of Funnier Die soon, I hope. And then this was your first foray into scripted, right? Um, I've done some scripted stuff before. Like I, I had definitely, I worked on a sketch show called The Whitest Kids You Know back in the day, which is like, a crazy time um, and had done some, you know, scripted pilots and worked on a lot of like hybrid stuff that was right. partially scripted. You know, I feel like those sort of are in the middle. Um, but it, it, certainly my first scripted comedy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite the challenge. I mean, the more yeah. you talk about it, the more I realize how challenging that really could be. Yeah. Yeah. And so what kinds of stuff do you have cooking can, that you can talk about um, either an unscripted or scripted in terms of TV and film. Yeah, we have a lot of stuff. We have, so I mean, scripted right now is a little difficult with the yeah. global, global pandemic <laughs> happening. Um, so a lot of that stuff is, you know, paused or slowed down for us. So we are leaning really heavily into unscripted right now because it's it's what you can make. You know, so um, that's been an interesting turn over the last six months. And and some of the wonderful scripted, you know, purely scripted execs from Funny or Die are like hopping on board, helping me make, you know, unscripted shows. It's like every it's all hands on deck kind of in terms of trying to to get out and pitch and and be making shows during this time, which is I mean, as everybody knows, it's been quite unprecedented, as you hear. Yeah. A thousand times a day. You do. Is Are you in <laughs> physical production on stuff? We are. Um, we are making a show that we're going to be announcing. I wish it was already announced so I could talk about it. But it's uh, we're doing a series uh, for Netflix with oh, uh, wow. B, with B-17. I love I love those guys. Um, I don't know. That, who, who's B-17? Uh, B, you, you have to meet them. OK. They're, they're the most wonderful production company. Um we're doing a show with them and it's going to be on Netflix. So we've been in production. I think we sold this show like the second week of pandemic or something. It feels like a hundred thousand years ago. 
Um, but we sold it during the pandemic, have been in full production up until now. We're in post now, and it will be on the air by December. That's amazing. So the whole thing has happened, and we've yeah. never we've never been in a room together. Wow. It's, it's wow. wild. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, a lot of the people like I already know, I know, I already know all the players because I've worked with everybody. But a lot of the people on our on our, you know, main crew have never met each other in real life. Or we've only met like even like our table reads and like all of everything has happened on Zoom. So it's 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 very weird. It's been very weird. So that's a scripted show then? It, it is an unscripted show. Um, but table it's, reads. It's, it's heavily, heavily, heavily <laughs> written. I need it's to know what this heavily is. Heavily written. It's a, it is a, it's like a, it's a clip based show. It's very, uh, pose, it's very it's, it, we have a host and we have a lot of archival footage and clips. So we have a, a movie star host who I cannot reveal yet. Is it Kevin Bacon? <laughs> no, I, I want to do everything with Kevin Bacon, but not, right? he's not this show. And it's, it's someone similar to Kevin Bacon, but a great movie star host. And, you know, we, we shot with him you know, from our living rooms. And do so you think, cool I mean, I know, I know it's pure speculation, but do you think if there was no pandemic, you would have been able to get this person? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if because of all I wonder this, it's too. just easier. Yeah. It's casting is, has been really strange for us because we also cast, we have a lot of comedian talking heads in this show as well. So we have a lot of A-list like comedians Fun. and some people were easy to book because they're not doing anything. And some people don't want to leave their house because they're afraid yeah. virus. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of one or the other. It's like either, Oh my God, I didn't know so-and-so would be available and willing to do something like this or like, absolutely not. Are you crazy? Do you know there's a global pandemic? I'm not coming to your studio. Right. Right. You now at the beginning of the, like more toward the beginning of the pandemic, maybe like two months in, I did sort of like a series with producers and network execs where I talked about just how we're doing business in the pandemic. And I'm curious, one of the things that Jason Sarlana said at TLC was that, he missed sort of the um, song and dance, or I think he called it the pageantry of the pitch <laughs> and, you know, coming in and show you know, putting the, putting the link, you know, getting the big screen TV on to show yes. the sizzle and that it kind of loses its, it's allure when you have to do it on zoom. How has Ugh. it been for you on the other side pitching? I totally agree with Jason. It just, I feel like it's so much more difficult to, He's right. It's the the just the dog and pony show of like, hi, hi, hug, hug. Remember hugs? They, that was the thing that we used to do, like seeing people. And I think when you do this for a long time, I look forward to seeing because I know the people coming in. It's like I'm excited to hear the show. I want to hear what they've been doing. You know, we all like that process. And when we're out pitching, like we're excited to talk to we know the buyers. We're excited to tell them about the show. And all of that is dulled a little bit to me with zoom and it's hard to hold people's focus because yes you know that can be like texting their friend or like you can kind of tell when people's eye like they're reading an email or something and you're like hello like you know like just focus like you can't do that shit when you're a real pitch you have to at least pretend to be paying attention at a real pitch like maybe you're thinking about your lunch order or whatever but like you are physically there and it's i feel like you have to work we've made our pitches faster first of all because there's no way that people are going to pay attention for 45 minutes or whatever. Like we're in and out in like 15 or 20 minutes. And I, and I feel like you have to be on when you come into a pitch now, you know, it's like, you just have to really ramp it up and like make people laugh and try to, and it's always, it's awkward because people are sort of stepping on each other. It's like, who knows (laughs) who's talking when it's just, I, I hate it. I, I really, I'm not, I'm not, I miss, I miss regular pitching 
You know, yeah. I just, I miss that part of life. Well, and yeah, and we were talking about this before we started, which is just, you're an extrovert. And so it's especially yeah. tough now, yeah. not just professionally, but personally too, just not being out and having that contact. Yeah. My favorite, I, we were talking about this um, at my office the other day, like the, the fun parts of this job are going to the table read, going to the kickoff meeting, like yeah. getting your crappy bagel and sitting down for your, <laughs> you know, kickoff it meeting. It is always Yay. crappy. Like, it's always crappy, but it doesn't matter because everybody's <laughs> excited and, you know, going into pitches and seeing people and like work lunches and work drinks and like seeing, keeping yeah. in touch with all of these people who you've been in this community. And I, I do think in particularly in the unscripted community, like we all know each other. We're all friends. Like we all have our sort of classes that we've come up with and people that we know. And it's all of the fun stuff has kind of been sucked away a little bit. All of the shitty stuff is still there, right? Like we, <laughs> we still have to do notes calls. We still have to send awesome. the emails. We have to do yeah. all the stuff. Like that's all still there. And we've just, like, me, <laughs> the shiny fun part got taken away. I mean, it's like boohoo. Our jobs are fun anyway. Like right, I, no, right. nobody's feeling sorry for us. And we all get to work from home, which is we have this, I mean, that's, we're so lucky, right. That we can yeah. do this from home, especially production. Like we can even do production from home, like, which is astounding, but it just is like, meh. Yeah. I think fun. it's, I'm choosing, even though I can often be negative, I'm choosing to be optimistic about all of it because I just feel like it's been going on a while. It can't last forever. Hopefully, you know, we just, I don't know that this will be a distant memory. I don't think it will, but I think that, you know, it will, we will move on to the next phase of living soon. That's how yeah. I feel. And I, I, you know, to speak to silver linings, I do hope that yeah. this changes some parts of how we work, right? Like, do we need to be in the office every day? Probably not. I think we've all come to realize, like, maybe we could work at home a couple days a week and get more done in the silence of our homes, you know, right. without like, the commuting maybe. and without the, you right. know, right. It, 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 I totally agree with you. I, I right. think in many ways it's, it's much more effective. Um, and it's stripped away a lot of the barriers that were there before. Like I said, even with talent, you know, the access yeah. is just different now. So I think all those are good things. Yeah. Good luck getting anybody to drive to Santa Monica for a pitch anymore. I mean, it's going to be like, <laughs> well, well, you know, like I don't, people are going to be so weird about, I know. Do we have to, I think we're going to now say like, do we have, <laughs> do we have to drive there? Do we have right. to go there where we always just assumed like, okay, a pitch in Santa Monica and then one in Burbank and then <laughs> one in your life. So your whole day is like, boo, 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 boo. you're like driving around all over the place. Like totally. maybe, maybe we'll tone it down a little bit, but still be able to have like fun work drinks. You completely. I hope what you're saying is correct. I think it is. And I'm so happy that we finally got to talk and you're able yes. to share your fun career with us. Um, yes. You, you so have, nice to talk to you. You we too. Could talk like, we could I have know. done this over drinks and we could have talked for like three hours. I know. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so we will do that as soon as it's, yes. it's, we're, we're free and clear. We will do that. And, yes, um, so where can, um, people find like the, the Kevin Bacon podcast and anything else that you guys are doing so we can keep up on funny or die. The Kevin Bacon podcast you can find on Spotify and the Netflix project will be out in December um, TBD on title and host, um, all that will be announced soon. And then we have a couple of other projects in the works that I think will be announced. I hope knock on wood very shortly behind that. So I think you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff coming out of funny or die very soon. We've been really working in this pandemic. Sounds like it. You busy, yeah. busy, busy, busy. Okay. Well, good luck with 
you're, you know, with everything and obviously bouncing your, your kids work, you know, zooming uh, school from home. I know it's tough for all parents right now. You're, you're, you're hanging in there like us all, but, um, hopefully we will uh, be able to reconnect in person soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this.